Hey everybody, quick piece of business before we start the show. We are changing the name from No But That's a Thing to Oh, That's a Thing. Yeah, we thought it was time to be a little bit more head on with how we felt. Yeah, we, we felt like the old name was a little bit confusing to people and we want things to not stop anybody from listening to this show. Yeah. So you can still find us at NoButThat'sAThing.com and at NoButThat'sAThing at gmail.com and all that. But you can also find us at OhThat'sAThing.com. That'll redirect to the same place. So there shouldn't be too much of an issue. We also got some sweet new artwork, huh? Yeah, we got awesome new artwork from Alex Cabal. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that right. right. We only worked over email, so right. I don't know how to say the name. We love this new artwork and we hope you do too. Hats off. So Thanks so much. Without further ado, here's the show. Here it is. Hello. This is Joya Italiano. This is Jeff Ekman. And welcome to Oh, That's a Thing, a podcast about the real science and sci-fi movies. Even if you haven't seen the movie, don't worry. We use the movies as jumping off points for some pretty awesome and real topics. That's right. We're not experts at all. We're actually just a couple of goons who Googled some stuff. But this stuff is pretty cool. Yeah, so sit back, relax, maybe learn a thing or two. Here we go. Here we go. Ooh, let's get ready to scan. Get ready. <laughs> it's the HP scanners edition. Oh, of... boy. <laughs> God, I didn't even know, like, at first what to expect with this movie. This is one of those that everybody, it's like, I've had multiple people be like, have you ever seen scanners? Yeah. So listen to this trailer. I would like to scan all of you in this room one at a time. I must remind you that the scanning experience is usually a painful one, sometimes resulting in nosebleeds, earaches, Stomach cramps, nausea, sometimes other symptoms of a similar nature. At this point, I'd like to call for volunteers. Scanners, their thoughts can kill. Trailer is just this one intense scene from the movie where this guy, like, it gets more and more intense, and then this guy's head explodes. Yeah, it's like this weird cross cutting between like one guy's face and the other guy's face, and he's becoming more and more like, Ugh. yeah, like, like, they're like someone's on furrowed brows. And, sure. yeah. yeah, does he have to poop? I don't know. <laughs> it could be anything, but then his head blows up. His head literally explodes, and that was the fucking trailer. It yeah, was nuts. and we were like, well, we got to do this. Yeah, and it's so. David Cronenberg who did The Fly. A fun fact about that head explosion thing: the way that they they, they created that effect was they filled a latex head of the actor with dog food, leftover lunch, fake blood, and rabbit livers, and then they shot it from behind with a 12-gauge shotgun. <laughs> That's a, I mean, it does kind of have that explosive yeah. quality to it. I but was wait, like, yeah, all right. Leftover lunch. <laughs> they were like, ah, oh, we got some dog food. Who, got- who else? Are you going to finish that? Are you <laughs> I'm, done? I'm, I'm done with my pad thai. <laughs> yeah, all right. Blow well, that let's in bring there. that in there, yeah. Anybody had any pasta or anything that yeah, just like you Notice like, like a perfect noodles. like a half of a BLT explodes out. Actually, David Cronenberg moved the head explosion scene from the very beginning of the movie mm-hmm. to about 15 minutes in for late moviegoers. I oh I saw that. Yeah, literally just people being tardy. Yeah, and he was like, you know what, people might be late. I don't want them to miss this. It's Wait, pretty important. But I, yeah. I feel like it's it would have been such an awesome opening to right. just sit down and you're like, what is this movie? Well, that would make more sense because remember when we were watching it and it came so soon that I was like, wow, they really blew their load there. Right, it happened so early on. But it's like it would have been even more pointed if that like you're if like, it oh, was I've got this movie scanners. Opening. What are we in for? I feel like that would have been a stronger yeah a stronger opening, but. 
people are just can't fucking be on time. Yeah. They gotta get their popcorn and their soda. I know I mean, Hitchcock like had a bunch of ideas like that because I think at some point when it became like a, th- a known thing that he shows up in his movies, he started putting it early in the movie because everybody wasn't paying attention to the movie. They were paying attention to like, where's Hitchcock? Oh, interesting. So he was like, let me get that out of the way. Well, so instead people are just like, let's just put fucking credits on there for 10 minutes yeah. and so people can trickle in there. Well, okay. What's this movie about? This is a movie. This is a movie about X Men. Yeah, <laughs> this is basically X-Men. like there's a group of mutants who have the ability to scan other people's minds. Yeah, they're telepaths, and they can control other people's minds and maybe make them explode. Right. And there's one guy who's kind of the Magneto of the situation, who's like, "We're the future." Mm-hmm. Fuck all the these humans. You have like corporate interests as well. You have like one group that's trying to use scanners to their end, and the other like underground. I guess the X Men of the crew that are right. trying to bring those motherfuckers down. So we're seeing what could happen if those things actually were a thing. It thinks. Sorry, I yeah. almost knocked over my scotch, y'all. So in the movie, there's this drug called ephemeral mm-hmm. that they give. What's the the guy's actual name? Do you know? The main character yeah, the or the main, main the, bad the main, guy? The main good guy. Searching. Scanning. <laughs> Cameron Vale. Cameron, Cameron. Okay, cool. So Cameron, at one point, there's this ephemeral drug that's used to temporarily inhibit his scanning power and clear his mind so that he's able to like focus more and be able to use his scanning powers for right. good, right? The ephemeral is also used at some point. Apparently, if, you, if it's given to pregnant women, then their babies will become scanners. Ooh. And... This reminded me of that drug that I was talking about in a most previous episode called thalidomide. That right. Billy Joel, the Billy talks Joel about song, in his movie, yeah. or in his movie, his. in his song, you know, the we didn't start the fire. Children of thalidomide. What is that? I looked into the history of the thalidomide tragedy. To just to give a little bit of context here, in the post World War II era sleeplessness was prevalent you might imagine after something as <laughs> yeah. crazy as like the depression and then world war ii tranquilizers were being prescribed non-stop so at the time one out of seven americans took tranquilizers and sleeping pills regularly the demand for sedatives was even higher in some european markets so then this thalidomide at first entered the german market in 1957 it was the only non-barbiturate sedative that was known at the time so historically barbiturates were used in the treatment of anxiety epilepsy they were mm-hmm. used as anesthetics and as well to in sleep but the barbiturates have the tendency to cause psychological and physical dependence and can be easy to overdose on so thalidomide had a little bit of an edge not being one of those that's like oh i'm gonna become a junkie basically so it wasn't as addictive and it wasn't Exactly. The company that made the drug, it was called Distillers was the name of the company. And they advertised it as being this like over-the-counter remedy, quote, completely safe for everyone, even during pregnancy. (laughs) And the reason they said that is because they couldn't, at the time, they could not find a dose that was high enough to kill a rat. So they're like, so obviously your baby's going to be just fine. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, already you're like, oh, is this your control? So you have people that are already, you know, taking sleeping pills. They're taking tranquilizers. You have something that's supposed to be seemingly safe for everybody. So by 1960, it was marketed in 46 different countries. It nearly matched the aspirin sales. Interesting. Yeah, which aspirin is pretty common. Well, it's interesting that you specifically mention aspirin because, you know, it was developed by Bayer as a safe alternative to morphine? Heroin. Oh, heroin. Heroin was developed by Bayer as the safe answer to addictive morphine. It was available for many years in over-the-counter kits, and it was used like the way ibuprofen is used today. God, we were so fucking ignorant, dude. Yep. They actually marketed it as treating everything from cancer to coughs 
colds to tuberculosis and depression. I mean, it does cure all of those things. I, cancer? No, it, well, no, it I mean, maybe the cough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe the awareness that you have cancer because your yeah. brain is just being fried at that time. Yep. So, okay, so at, at the same time that this drug, thalidomide, is being marketed to all of these people, there's this Australian obstetrician, Dr. William McBride. He discovered that the drug was also good at alleviating morning sickness. Mm. So then he starts prescribing this to all of his fucking pregnant patients. Oh, no. And so he starts doing that in 1960 by 1961, he then finds that there's all these severe birth defects in the babies that he himself delivered. Many of the babies were born with something called phocomelia, which results in these shortened, absent, or flipper-like limbs. If you Google children of thalidomide or thalidomide birth defect, you'll see all of these little kids that have these little, like, fucking T-Rex arms. Man. So it wasn't necessarily fatal. Actually, it was fatal. And so, so that, you know, the babies that were able to be carried to term had these issues. Many of the babies... You know, didn't make it either very didn't make long it after or that. were premature or you know still did you see if that. anybody did kind of make it into adulthood if there was any kind of that's a good question that? I didn't look into that I well because I know a lot of that there was like all of these crazy settlements and the company right. had to pay into this thing I'll, I'll get into that in a little well, bit because this guy when he was de- started delivering this and realizing what he had done to these right. people I imagine that was a terrifying and you know never gonna get over yeah. it kind of moment well because I mean in some of the articles I read it was like oh, and then an Australian doctor discovered birth defects it's like but he was the one that was prescribing them oh, you know man. what I mean like yeah. they kind of make it as though he was the whistleblower on this but really He's well, like, if I guess if you literally don't, you know, he did make a mistake. But when you learn what right. your mistake is, you know, he didn't try to cover it up, it sounds like. Exactly. You know. Well, and shortly after, a German newspaper soon reported that 161 babies were adversely defected. The makers of the, the, of the drug distillers, they initially totally ignored or, you know, denied these reports. But they eventually had to stop distribution in Germany. Then by March of 1962, it was banned in most countries where it was previously sold. Hmm. So it goes from in the span of basically a two year period right. going from being all over the place to being like, holy shit balls, we just caused a lot of damage. Wow. So a few of the, the thalidomide children won damages in 1968. The rest were covered by a 1973 out of court settlement with distillers who made the drug. That compensation was later increased after, you know, crazy media attention and the pressure from some of the firm's shareholders. Right. So then distillers, which was later bought by Guinness. <laughs> Let's really? Let's about that. Distillers and subsequently Guinness, which bought it, they've had to improve the terms of the settlement several times. And they've had to pay or they've agreed to pay around 200 million pounds in, in total up until 2037 to the thalidomide trust there's a whole trust which distributes annual payments to the 455 people in britain damaged by the drug so they're still alive i guess wow some of them do you think guinness was like we're into products that fuck up children if (laughs) you use them what during pregnancy yeah i wish i would have looked more into that comparison we have other things that do the same thing to people it's like on one hand these corporations like well just buy up anything but it is odd to think like yeah if you drink while pregnant your kid's gonna be oh boy so yeah isn't that fucking insane yes some of the things that have like wound up being done to kids i read about this thing recently called the monster study okay which was in 1939, Wendell Johnson, which was a University of Iowa speech pathologist, conducted stuttering experiments on 22 non-stuttering orphan children. Oh, no. They split the kids into two groups. One was given positive speech therapy where they praised them for fluent speech, and the other group was given negative therapy where they were harshly criticized for any flaw in their speech ability, and they labeled them stutterers. Oh. The children in the negative group, while not transforming into full-fledged stutterers, they suffered negative psychological effects and several suffered from speech problems for the rest of their lives. 
And these like formerly normal children became anxious, withdrawn, and silent. And as adults, several of them sued the University of Iowa, which settled the case in 2007. Oh my God, that's and this like had, child abuse. It's totally child abuse. This happened in 1939, and they settled the case in 2007. Oh my God. I mean, at least in 1968, they were like, dude, you have flipper arms. We're going to we settle gotta, this. Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> we really messed up. Yeah, but that's this, crazy. yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting to consider, even in the case of thalidomide, at the time that the Food and Drug Administration, they didn't have they didn't have to approve clinical trials. So, no, there was like no real oversight. So the, quote, clinical trials, uh. um, you know, done for thalidomide, it was, let's, let's see, more than 2.5 million tablets of thalidomide. They were given to approximately 20,000 patients across the nation and almost 4,000 women of, of childbearing bearing age, about 200 of those were pregnant. And more than a thousand physicians participated in the trials, but few tracked their patients. They they like tra- they just didn't even track what happened to their patients after. <laughs> they, yeah. were, they were just like, well, go off into the world. Yeah, we don't so, need to know anything more. I mean, I think why that why this story is interesting to me is because you know we're in the the day and age now where the head of the FDA has been linked to like yeah has had ties with pharmaceutical companies. Donald Trump himself has had his his weird executive order that's like one in two out. Like if there's any new restriction or regulation that's made in the FDA, two have to be eliminated. I mean that's insane. Yeah, and there's precedent for why there's fucking of, rules like what this. Kind of yeah, is they want to lax the regulations that it takes. What else in the universe works like that? Where yeah. it would be good, where it's like just two, any two has right. to come out. Yes, you can maybe streamline it and make regulation more efficient, but to eliminate it is ridiculous. So, like, the thalidomide fiasco helped motivate them passing the, the 1962 uh. Kepler Harris Drug Amendment Act, which tightened the restrictions surrounding the approval process for drugs. You can't, I mean, right now it takes sometimes between 8 and 12 years. It involves animal testing, tightly regulated human, human clinical trials for drugs. So it's like, yeah, I would rather drugs take a little bit longer to get into the markets right. than flipper kids. Right. You know what I mean? It's just i don't know i don't understand do you think that just to play devil's advocate on this like some of the restriction there is like a conspiracy theorist might be like well they're keeping the the cures that we need away from the people who need them and they're trying to keep things quiet and the way they do that is through getting it tied up in regulation or something well i could see that but at the same time i think the reason why there's like there's so much red tape is because the government is so right. involved with big pharma. Well, yeah, I mean, you know I guess to answer my own question, it's like there's a I have a list of things yeah. right now that I'm looking at of things that yeah. had an original intention. And then they realized, oh, shit, that's not good for that. Right. Exactly. Well, I mean, just to put a button on this before we get into that, I, I certainly think like the financial interest of so many of these big pharmaceutical companies would make them not want there to be a cure for cancer that people were familiar with because then their cancer drugs wouldn't be necessary as right. much. You but know then wouldn't a new cancer drug be well, I don't think profitable? That, well, I don't think the new the, the big pharma companies want there to be much competition in the realm of pharmaceuticals. Is that what is that well, what I meant mean? that like if they were to introduce a new drug that was more effective and did cure cancer, that then they would not because then let that go for free people's cancers are cured then they're not going to be on drugs for the rest of their life you're saying that right so if people don't have cancer anymore then they don't need to go to in for the treatments and they don't need to take the drugs that a lot of these these companies manufacture so i could see how that would be an incentive to like want there to be like disinformation campaign there could like i said there could be more efficiency with regulation i don't think the regulation is really stopping things from being made although i would rather there be warnings than not you know, if, if it's worth the risk for the cure, 
then there you have it. Well, mercury, for example, which we all know to be poisonous, Mm -hmm. was once used for skin disorders. It was also used as an aphrodisiac and even as a contraceptive. Doctors used to use it to treat syphilis, but it just caused deadly kidney and liver damage. And William Shakespeare is considered to be casualty of mercury therapy. Oh, boy. So Uh, you haven't listened to S-Town yet. No, I haven't. Okay. Do, do they There's talk a lot about of mercury discussion? Oh, really? Yeah, and like the the madness and the mania that that like the the clockmakers of your right would be surrounded by all this mercury, be inhaling all of it. And was that what was in the hats too? Yeah, yeah. You would mention the hat makers, right? Yeah. Was it mercury mm-hmm. in the hats? My dad actually got mercury poisoning from he ate a tuna fish sandwich every day for lunch oh, for God. twenty. Three and he years. got mercury poisoning? And he, yeah. One day my mom read an article like that was like, hey, if you eat a lot of fish, then maybe check yourself for mercury poisoning. Yeah, it's and specifically tuna. Yeah, and it was like normal levels are between zero and 10, and he was at 35. And oh. he was like, he had to stop eating tuna fish. Did he have any weird side effects? Not, I think that like it was just below where side effects would really start affecting him. But mm-hmm. like, and it started going down after that but right. like he had to switch to turkey sandwiches oh wow that's crazy well, first of all a little bit more variety I, that's Shoot. what i'm saying this was a man <laughs> I, it was ridiculous how he would eat the same thing for breakfast the same thing for lunch wow. i don't know you know well i mean it's like on one hand it sounds so obvious like duh mercury is just gonna bum you out but <laughs> what about what about like chemo man that's like it really is and, and like radiation all these things it makes your hair fall out it makes you like super nauseous but it kills the it kills right the but cancer. i don't think that that mercury when it was being used in medicine mm-hmm. that it was well it yeah it, it has these side effects but oh, it's good okay. it was just like they didn't know they, they were didn't just know anything they, negative about it no they just were using it to treat syphilis oh. and stuff it didn't Yikes. cure syphilis that's crazy yeah and there's well, like, other examples like Lysol started as a vaginal douche. Oh, right. Oh, God, that's disgusting. Yeah. It you're was, not also like not supposed to douche. I've heard that. You're not. Like you're the the vagina is a miraculously self-cleaning <laughs> organ and it is ridiculous. But again, people are like, have you ever had that not so fresh feeling? So they <laughs> make you feel like you have to put some shit in your. Yeah. It's I was ridiculous. thinking about that because like people are into cleanses and yeah. like get like colon cleanses and stuff. But there's an actually there's therapies from doctors where they'll transplant shit into your colon to add the microbes that you may be missing. Ugh. So this is an actual procedure that is done today. And the newest stuff is like they have like these frozen shit pills mm-hmm. that you can take. So you swallow the shit and then it goes into your intestines and it replenishes the microbes that you need down there now is that anything just like probiotic because there's like probiotic yogurts and like the the shit with the real culture this is like the more heavy duty prescription level form of that because they'll actually do surgeries to implant fecal matter into your into your butt Pain. It, it, you know, we, we got so a whole muddled. world of microbes down there, right. you know? It all gets so muddled because we were talking about on the last show of how, you know, the, the antibacterial little sprays and creams or whatever mm-hmm. that everybody has in their purse or whatever. It's like, that's actually not good for you. Right. Like, you need to be exposed to germs. Like, that's part of it, you know? Mm-hmm. And, oh, it's crazy. Well, even, even thalidomide is FDA approved for two uses today, apparently. One of which is a treatment for inflammation associated with Hansen's disease, which is what causes leprosy. Mm-hmm. And it's a chemotherapeutic agent for patients with multiple myeloma. So that's like an, an off-label prescription. And, and that kind of stuff is done all the time. Like, you know, for example, prescribing depression medication to, to treat chronic pain. So I, I don't know, like, 
how do you feel? Do you feel okay about off-label prescribing or prescribing something that it's not initially meant for? Well, if it helps. It's to me it's like it, it all comes down to has it gone through the scientific method? Mm-hmm. Like have we figured out what this actually does? If it turns out, oh, this was actually much better for something else, then let's do that. But it sounds like you're okay with the idea of there being like extensive clinical trials and those kind of regulations to make sure they they are like safe before they get to market. Definitely. Okay. Yeah. I don't think that people should be running wild with this stuff. Right. Exactly. I think that it's definitely, I was playing devil's advocate earlier talking about like, well, what is the negative of regulation? But it's like, you know, we were talking a while ago about the fake blood that was (gasps) being transmitted to people without their knowledge in 2006. Mm -hmm. And so I'm in favor of consent yeah, in all yeah, forms. Totally. Anybody could be like, but the regulations, what about the small business owners out there? Right. And, you know, these, yeah, I guess if there's like a small mom and pop pharmaceutical company that might be a little bit frustrating. You know, all those lives. mom and pop pharmaceutical <laughs> yeah, exactly. companies that litter Main the Street. small pharma. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? Well, and even still, like supplements and shit don't have to be FDA approved. John Oliver did a whole fucking thing. I know that. supplements is a whole other yeah. universe of terrible things, but that's the same thing with the alternative medicine that we've discussed, yeah. and like where it's like these things that exist outside of medicine that are kind of like they're supplemental right. to medicine. But well, even I think the first time we were talking about thalidomide was because we were talking about how the anti-vaxxers are just ruining everyone's world, and right. how it's like. Yeah, but there was at one point, uh, you know, a medical company that released this thalidomide that ended up killing, you know, or like uh, right, making like, flipper arms. But you're like, but come on, but that's, that's because not they what's were regulated. Happening here. Exactly. And, and it sounds like from what you told me, within a year, they were like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, put the exactly. brakes on it. Whereas it's like, like hundreds and thousands is, of kids developed autism, yeah, like the second they got their MMR shots. A like, discredited study from 1998. It's all, it's, yeah. it all comes down to that. Uh. Another crazy old medical technology that was done in the movie by the bad guy is trepanation. Uh So this is drilling a hole into your skull to soothe migraines, seizures, or other mental disorders. Oh, boy. And the practice dates back to the Stone Age. There's like cave paintings that show trepanation. And it was originally conducted with a sharp stone to scrape away the bone of the skull. And later on, mechanical drills were used. Oh, my God. And surprisingly, a lot of patients have survived and lived years past the operation. That shocks me, honestly, that they survived me too. skull holes. <laughs> skull holes? You wouldn't think that you'd survive. <laughs> In the 1970s, this big advocate of trepanation, her name was Amanda Fielding. She hypothesized that it, al- it allows increased blood circulation, allowing people to achieve and sustain a slightly higher state of consciousness that she theorizes children experience before their cranial bones fuse. So she ran for parliament twice on the platform of trepanation for the national health. This is in the 70s? Yeah. I have a lot of trepidation about trepanation. <laughs> oh, right shit. Hey-oh. How did I and not see sincere, that one? It was a sincere feeling. I love it. And I was like, oh, my God, it fucking rhymes. Here we go. <laughs> she was so convinced that people should do this that she filmed herself drilling a hole into her head with a dentist drill and screened this movie around the country where audiences would like faint when seeing it. I mean, it. Like, anesthetics, like, obviously. What the fuck? What? <laughs> she, you know, this was a, she made like a movie and it became like famous and parts of that movie are shown in this documentary about it called A Hole in the Head. Oh, but literally people use that phrase to talk about something that they don't need. Like, I need that like I need a hole in the head. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, that's bitch. where the phrase comes from. She's still alive today. 
She's 74. And how many? She just have one hole in her head? How many? Several I, I, holes? I think she only has the one, as oh, far as I know. But. I hate her already. <laughs> <laughs> so I was looking in the into the brief history of schizophrenia. I mean, the, the mm. scanners in this movie, there's a lot of weird... There's the hearing of the voices and the who's it's and the what's it's and how they're treated. And, and Cameron has a hole in his head, right? Yeah, well, Which, the, the bad guy. Oh, the bad guy, rather. Yeah. yeah the bad guy has a hole in his head. It made me even think about when we were talking about lobotomies on one of the episodes. Yep. Recent, you know. Anyway, so I was like, where did schizophrenia, what is What is the deal? What's the deal? What's and so, the deal? <laughs> what's the deal with schizophrenia? The term was first coined in 1910 by the Swiss psychiatrist Paul Eugen Bleuler. Bleuler? I think it's, I think it's like, I want to say it's Bueller, but with an L. Bleuler. Bleuler. <laughs> Bleuler. Hi, <laughs> Chihuahua. So that um, schizophrenia is derived from the Greek words schizo, which means split, and friend, which means mind. So it was intended to refer to the disassociation or the loosening of thoughts and feelings that Bleuler had found to be prominent feature of the illness. <laughs> and this was to replace the older term. It was previously referred to as dementia precox, which is means dementia of early life. It, that had been championed by a German psychiatrist by the name of Emil Kreiplin in 1887, and he believed that the illness only occurred in young people and inevitably led to mental deterioration. So Bleuler was like, he disagreed on both counts He and claimed that contrary to, to mental deterioration, schizophrenia is actually a heightened consciousness of memories and experiences. Hmm. And, you know, people that suffer from it, you know, it manifests itself in different ways. But... So even though the term was coined in 1910, the oldest available descriptions of an illness closely resembling schizophrenia can be found in the Abers papyrus, which dates back to Egypt in 1550. There's also, like you were saying, there's Stone Age skulls found with burr holes in them. Right. At the time, it's you know it's presumed to release evil spirits, which is, of course, what they <laughs> viewed as any real mental illness back in the day. Yeah, I guess um, the modern version was they were like, it lets oxygen in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's a lot of pressure in there. Yeah. You gotta release that pressure. Yeah, but I, what I think is interesting, because when you think of schizophrenia, you think of kind of a like split personality or multiple personalities. That was popularized mm -hmm. in Robert Louis Stevenson's the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Sufferers, they may hear voices that may attribute to d different people, or they might mm -hmm. develop random beliefs that seem out of step with with their own beliefs but it's not like it's two unrecon you know completely unrecognizable people that's clearly so like uh, you're saying with multiple personality disorder the personalities aren't like wildly distinct yeah. and completely it sounds to me opposite. now i i don't want to sound super ignorant but it sounded to me like the more that we're understanding different like the nuances of mental illness multiple personality disorder seems to be waning mm -hmm. in, in, in how it's diagnosed. Like maybe back in the day, people were diagnosed with multiple personality disorder a lot more, but it sounds like they're able to hone in on what that is. Like people have it like the, like split the M night Shyamalan movie that just came out. <laughs> yeah, I uh, haven't where, seen that. Oh part. yeah. But that's that where he's like all these different characters uh, and they're like, that is not so much a thing. I think identity, <laughs> the oh, John yeah, Cusack movie had oh that the God, whole thing. Totally. Everybody in this motel is just one person's mind. Exactly. Well, or even fucking Anthony Perkins. What's his name? What Psycho? The the Psycho. What's his name? No, at the Bates Motel, Norman Bates. Norman. <laughs> I was like, what's yeah. his name? The something motel. The but he, that was part of it too, where it's like he hears his mo mother's voice. Right. And, yeah. Yeah. So it's what what was interesting is how they used to treat these kinds of things. Uh oh. Could you you could only imagine, right? So I was grossed out to hear about the lobotomy situation, but yeah. then there's other ways that they treated it. So febrile illnesses, which is illnesses that 
like the symptoms are fever, like malaria, something like that. Mm -hmm. They've been observed to temper psychotic symptoms. So in the early 20th century, they would use something called fever therapy, where psychiatrists tried to induce fevers in their patients, sometimes by means of injections of sulfur or oil. Oh, my oh, God. Yeah, exactly. So then they would maybe use they would use sleep therapy, gas therapy. They'd use the electroshock <laughs> therapy and they would use prefrontal leucotomy, which is the removal of the part of the brain that processes emotions. And it, so, you know, the, the criticism is that it tried to deal with the actual with the symptoms and like the, the disturbing behavior that was not, quote, normal than actually dealing with the fucking problem or right. like try to understand where schizophrenia comes from. Well, I, but they were just like, give him a fever. Yeah. They were like, well, I mean, people with malaria aren't as psychos, so uh, let's do that. (laughs) (laughs) Who has that idea? I don't know, man. But who has the idea of like, oh, man, you're hysterical. Let me remove half of your brain. (laughs) Yeah, well, that actually, in a weird way, makes more sense to me. Because they're like, they're troubled. They need, oh, man, they need to settle that brain. And it's like, well, maybe this, like, part of the brain went wrong. And if we just remove it, they could still, like, have a normal life. But this is just like, but I guess... I guess it is the same thing. Yeah, well, because it's also, let, let's think about the stigma that's been associated with mental illness for so long. Well, what I, like, just the correlation that this guy made between people who got malaria being less crazy, mm-hmm. like, like, how many cases do you have to see before you, like, the thought gets in your head, like, oh, they're less crazy when they have a fever. Yeah. Well, also, that sounds counterintuitive to me because it's like there's a such thing as a fever dream. Like, right. I've seen movies that I'm like David Lynch. I'm like, point. this is a just one long fever dream. You know what yeah, I mean? That's not something that I'm like lucid and comfortable and normal. That's when you're like, I'm all over the place. I'm not sure what's what. Yeah. I'm Side groggy. note, yeah. Twin Peaks is coming back and I'm psyched. But, you know, in the, the, the old father of psychoanalysis himself, Sigmund Freud. Ah. Um, you know, as a result. That of, cokehead. Yeah. That, <laughs> I know. He is also not perfect. I have issues with him. (laughs) But at least he got the conversation away from, oh, this person's just mad. We have to remove their brain. And was able to, you know, as a result of his influence, by the second half of the 20th century, the majority of psychiatrists in the United States believed that schizophrenia resulted from unconscious conflicts originating in the childhood, right? So as opposed to you just being a cuckoo kachu, it was discovered that... Yeah, there might there might be stuff going on here, but there are certain triggers that are either environmental or okay. or as a result of memories, tragic memories. Also, also, like hearing of voices is often found in people that are recently bereaved or experienced some sort of traumatic event, and they're they're hearing at a things time be- of like extreme stress. Yeah, or you know, let's imagine somebody very close to you dying in maybe a violent or very quick, yeah. unexpected manner. You might hear their voice. You know, you might hear them talking to yeah. you. Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. So, but you know, also since then, not only are there antipsychotic <laughs> drugs, but it's just funny that you say that because, like, I remember specifically after my cat died, I would hear her meow, Aww, like, phantomly right. or when I was around the apartment. I would just, like, in the corner of my eye, thought I saw her. Yeah. And it's just, like, because I was so used to that oh, presence. Yeah. That, you'd, grown, yeah. you'd grown accustomed to her face. Yeah. <laughs> Oh boy. <laughs> I mean, my God, I think about my cat that I put to sleep like 10 years ago all the time. So, yeah. But, you know, and also since then, there's advanced brain imaging, there's molecular genetic studies and all this, mm-hmm. you know, all the wonderful things about medicine that it's not, you know, you can imagine psychiatrists at, psychiatrists at the time being like, I have no tools to deal with yeah. this issue, but I have this person in front of me who's having crazy psychotic episodes, I suppose. Well, that's where it starts. It starts with just like looking and seeing and, well, I guess this is what's happening here. Yeah. And, oh. Totally. 
we'll well, cut them up. And like talk therapy being a thing as opposed to being like, fuck, you know, Tony Soprano style being like, I don't need a psychiatrist. And then meanwhile, we're like, yes, you do, Tony. Yeah. Yes, you do. Well, he was smart enough to know that he needed one. Well, no, after a while. At first, he was so against it. (laughs) Right, yeah. Why was he doing it? Because he had to Um, keep it secret. No, because he was having those fucking panic attacks and passing out. And so he was like mandated I got these ducks. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I got these ducks. There's a family of ducks. The ducks flew away. Right. Oh, my God. And now I'm sad because the the ducks are gone. Oh, rest in peace, Gandolfini. Well, as far as things that, like, make you think that you're going crazy, I've mentioned before this concept of infrasound-induced panic, Mm -hmm. and I've learned a little bit more about this. So below the frequency of human hearing, sound can really fuck with your head. If it hits at the right strength and frequency, it can resonate with the human eye, causing the eye to vibrate, leading to distorted vision and the possibility of ghost sightings, for example. Wait, I'm sorry. I just want to pause pause on the eye vibration. Yeah. It's like physically moving. If the sound wave comes in at 18.98 hertz, which is the frequency of the human eye, Uh then the eye starts vibrating and... It causes all sorts of things like headaches, nausea, night terrors, sleep disorders, and a sense of dread. So, like, people, it actually causes a person to, like, feel like there's an entity in the room and that something's wrong. Right. Because you don't know what's what's happening because you can't actually hear it. So, there was a Coventry University lab that was known to be haunted. And one day there was a guy who was there late at night and they ha- he had like a fencing foil that was held in a vice mm-hmm. and he noticed that the fencing foil was vibrating. He went on this whole search and they found a silent fan that was giving off low frequency sound waves at 18.98 hertz. <sighs> and when they finally switched it off, he claimed that a huge weight was lifted and it felt like all of a sudden everything and in the room changed. It was just a fan that was giving off sound at that frequency oh my god so it's like what an amazing explanation for so many eerie times where like the hair is standing up on the back of your neck and you don't know why yeah. and you feel a sense of dread but you don't there's no good reason for it and you like well, and also when you are see- seeing something out of the corner of your eye because your eyes vibrating and that's always what that what it is it's never like and for five solid minutes right. the ghost was there it's always like this weird thing and then you're like I, yeah and then you never see it again and oh wow yeah god science <laughs> God, science. (laughs) God, comma, science. (laughs) I looked into spontaneous human combustion. (laughs) Why why did you think of that? Well, heads do explode in this movie spontaneously. This is different from spontaneous combustion, which really can happen. There could be a thing called bacterial fermentation Mm -hmm. in a compost pile, which generates heat, and then the whole thing will just spontaneously combust. But with human combustion, there is no real basis to spontaneous, like just somebody sitting down and just bursting into flames. It seemed like not a real thing. Right. It received a lot of coverage in the British Medical Journal in 1938. And they basically found all the recorded cases have these following things in common. The victims are chronic alcoholics. They're usually elderly females. The body has not burned spontaneously, but some lighted substance has come into contact with it. Okay. So that's a pretty key one. And if your body's full of alcohol, flammable. Well, wait, let me okay. let me get into that in a second. The hands and feet usually fall off. The fire has caused very little damage to combustible things in contact with the body, 
and the body has left a residue of greasy and fetid ashes with a terrible offensive odor. Hugarino. Yeah. So a lot of Victorian era physicians believed that spontaneous human combustion was a result of alcoholism. But I was thinking about it like, do you think it's because there's booze in their blood or because they're clumsy drunk people who light things on fire and pass out with cigarettes lit in their hands? That makes more sense. Yeah. I've known a lot of heavy drinkers that have never (laughs) spontaneously combusted. Right. (laughs) Usually in in the historical stories, people leave out the part where there was like an ignition source nearby because they like to have this spontaneously happen. But what it seems like actually is happening here is a wick effect, W-I-C-K. Right. So when someone starts to burn, what can happen is that their fat seeps into the padding of a chair or like the clothes themselves, and it acts as a wick. So as it starts burning, more and more fat is absorbed into the chair, and then it acts like a candle wax. Oh! So the things surrounding the person who's burning don't really burn and they continuously feed off of the fat in the person until the person's done burning. Oh my God. When we went and studied our like prairie days, not only did we make soap out of fat, but they also made candles out of fat. See, there you so go. There you go. So, <laughs> that fits in perfectly. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. So somebody would just walk in and see a burned person in an unburned chair with their hands and feet on the ground. Like, how did this happen? That is insane although about the hands and the feet they have the least amount of fat in the body which might explain why they just fall off because a lot of the times it's just they're not close enough to like a drapery or something to actually have the fire spread in the house and so they do just burn out while sitting in the chair but i was thinking anybody who burned this way and it did spread to the other parts of the house the story just would have been house burns down with person inside not spontaneous combustion leads to to house 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 fire well, that, I'm, I'm really glad you kind of cleared that up because it's one of those that I always assumed was like not a real thing and yet kind of accepted. That's people like, right. yeah, there's been a few cases of someone just well, exploding. It does like <laughs> what's left is a, a weird conundrum right. that like a non-intuitive crime scene. But one of the quotes that I saw that I I really loved was, if spontaneous human combustion is a real phenomenon and not the result of an elderly or infirm person being too close to a flame source, why doesn't it happen more often? There are 5 billion... This was in 1987 when the world's population was 5 billion people. Oh, man. There are 5 billion people in the world, and yet we don't see reports of people bursting into flame while walking down the street, attending football games, or sipping a coffee at a Starbucks. No. Exactly. Well, I didn't know that there was a, a lighting point. Like, that's like such an yeah. important yeah, point exactly. like, that no there's one ever acknowledges. Every time that there's been, yeah, there's always been an ignition source in every, <laughs> every example. I also, when researching that, found a thing called exploding head syndrome. No. So I had to talk about this. EHS, man. <laughs> that's what it's called. <laughs> they call it EHS. Yes. It's a, it's a, <laughs> Yes. It's a rare and benign mental condition where a person hears really loud imagined noises like a bomb exploding or a gunshot or like a cymbal crash. And they feel like an explosive feeling either when they're falling asleep or when they're waking up. Mm -hmm. And no one knows for sure why this happens. But the current best theory is that it's a dysfunction of the reticular formation in the brainstem, which is responsible for the transition between waking and sleeping. 
So, again, so nothing physically happens. It's just the sensation that you feel. And they hear an incredibly loud noise all of a sudden that's, like, jarring and terrifying to them. Wow. So, yeah. That human brain, man. It It, is so fucking... When you combine this, like, the ghost sightings, like you're talking about, uh and the uh, the out-of-body experiences. Well, notice how we didn't even touch on telepathy. Like, we're not being like, (laughs) is there a history of this? It's not a thing. Nobody (laughs) nobody really... Well, we talked about before that, like, brainwaves only extend out six millimeters outside of your skull. We didn't even talk about ESP, extrasensory perception, because it's like there's no actual basis in any fact that that's, you know, it's... Yep. Again, we're living in a world where we wish that someone had the capacity to move something with their brain. We certainly imagine we want people to be able to convey thoughts. That was something about this movie where it's like, I like the idea of being able to hear other people's thoughts, but also I feel like not being able to hear other people's thoughts is like one of the greatest limitations of being human. Oh my God. That would be a fucking nightmare. I mean, we were talking about hearing voices. I'm like, if I could get the fucking circus sideshow in my head to slow down, it would be great. <laughs> right. I couldn't imagine having other people's shit in my brain. And also just like, I don't want, I don't think it's appropriate to have a completely open thing where it, somebody's initial like, knee-jerk thought that goes through their brain for no good reason like is being shared automatically yes exactly you should be able to choose if you're going to share exactly. certain ideas there has to be some amount of privacy yeah but yeah i don't know i i don't I'm not worried about anybody actually being able to read my thoughts at right any time no soon. me either except for if we have that you know capacity yeah. where it's like it speaks to my smartphone and like it just reads my brain waves or we've like talked about that technology where they can like recreate the images that are apparently playing right. in your brain your little brain images of, yeah. yeah which uh, i'm i really haven't made up my mind on that yeah it's like you always have these like there was there was a parrot in the crime scene and it said these words and maybe oh, we can yeah, use that we can yeah. use that as testimony in a trial. I did a story on that, but it's like if you could scan the parrot's brain waves and maybe they oh. could see, although we don't even know what like what do animals see? Well, that's, that's a the thing. thing. Do colorblind and do they store memories in a way where you could cre- create the visual experience of it? I feel like we're so <laughs> like, far from knowing that. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. Wow, yeah. yeah they, I mean, we got to at some point we got to look into how do Animals. Memories work in animals. Right. Whereas, because like, you think about a very, for lack of a better term, animalistic kind of instinctual <laughs> thing where it's like, oh, I know if I'm, if I sit, then I'll be given this dog bone. So you right. hear that sound, sit. I remember that I do, but right. that's but how conscious like, of a thought is I that? I remember at my birthday party right. when all the dogs in the neighborhood came over and we had a nice, you know, it's like, I can't imagine that and they have any kind of real. Do ants remember? Oh. <sighs> Does an elephant remember? (laughs) They never forget, (laughs) Jeff. God. I don't think I took down any any favorite lines. Did you? No. Oh, no. There was uh, one thing that I thought was great where, like, because they have this big, like, mainframe IBM computer thing. Mm -hmm. And at one point, he's, like, scanning it. And they're like, how is he scanning this? And they're like, we're connected to the telephone system. Anyone calling long distance can access this computer. Oh. So he like early <laughs> early internet. He yeah. like calls in from a payphone and like scans the computer with his mind over the telephone line. Right. I just thought that that was well, a funny. That's one element that I love about watching these older movies. It is so interesting that even in these movies with these bigger concepts, just the smallest shit where we're like, oh, 
that's right. You yeah. lived in a world where this was like, this was j- but the stuff of dreams. Yeah. Oh, this internet? <laughs> Interwebs. Yeah, yeah. I love it. I think we're going to watch Planet of the Apes next, we that's, decided. That's the plan. I just saw the preview for the new the new movie, the, the War for the Planet of the Apes. Yeah, I'm excited about it. And I realized, I was like, that's actually a really good one. Unfortunately, that's one of those that I know the end because yeah. I'm alive in but 2017. Like Soylent Green, it, <laughs> yeah. you know, we know. Also Charlton Heston. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I think that'll be a fun one to revisit. Wait, he was the his movies were the original spoiler alerts. Serious? He wasn't he also Moses or something? He he was <laughs> the old Ten Commandments. I think that was yeah, that was him. That was Moses. <laughs> Ten Commandments. Was spoiler Moses. alert! Like I, like I know uh, which Bible story was he? Ge- no, yeah. <laughs> not Jesus. Well, you can find us at nobutthatsathing.com and go onto those message boards. We're at No But That's a Thing on Facebook and Twitter. Yeah, I'm at It's a Joy Mia on Twitter. I'm at Jeffrey Ekman on Twitter, and we'd love to hear from you guys if you guys got any thoughts. Yeah. Any responses to anything we've been saying? Or anything that we got wrong that you need to school us on. Yeah. I would like that. (laughs) I would like to be critiqued. All right, guys, have a wonderful week, and we'll see you soon. For Planet of the Apes. (laughs) Bye. Bye.